we need to put our hands and our feet to our prayers and our faith. And so we're just in a moment in time where you can do something that could have tremendous impact on the future of our nation. Our current administration seems to be doing everything it can to destroy the traditional family and the purity and innocence of children. So watch this video and then don't check out, you know, if it's not your thing. And uh, here we go. Roll them. <laughs> A mother and father in Florida are suing their school district after their 12-year-old daughter attempted suicide at her school. According to the parents, it was only then that they were notified that she had been receiving counseling from the school about her gender identity and that it was kept from the family because of their Catholic faith. I immediately called the school. I was told I cannot be given any information about the meeting because my daughter was now protected by a non-discrimination law essentially protected from me. They presume me to be a danger to my child. Title IX is the landmark law passed in 1972 that banned sex discrimination in all federally funded K-12 and college education programs and sports. Now, 50 years later, the Biden administration is working to undermine those sex-based protections and to promote radical gender identity ideology as mandated policy in our schools. On July 12th, the administration announced their intention to rewrite the scope of Title IX to include sexual orientation and gender identity, all without congressional approval. The new rules would universally undermine biological sex and endorse an ideology that teaches children they can be born in the wrong body. They would allow school officials to authorize a child's gender transition at school without requiring the consent of their parents. This will do children medical harm. Many children will go on to chemical and surgical changes that end in sterility, infertility, and lifelong sexual dysfunction. Ironically, these changes would hijack the equal opportunities that once provided girls by forcing girls to share private spaces and to compete against biological males in their sports. The administration is required to consider the negative impacts of its proposed rules. Parents, educators, and community leaders must make your concerns known by submitting public comments through the online portal telling the administration why these new rules should not be adopted. You must do this by September 12th. Visit our website for more information, a link to the federal online portal, and resources to help you. So, yeah. We want to protect our children, don't we? And uh, this is done without, there's no legislation behind this. This is an administrative decision by the Department of Education under the Biden administration. And, but fortunately, until the 12th is a period of public comment. That's all that's allowed. But you can flood emails, phone calls, et cetera, in, normally to your legislature. But this requires that you go to, uh, if you go to the parentchild.org website, we sent out a, an e-blast. If you didn't get it, let the people at the information know if you want to do this. But your comments, you go, you click a link, you can, you can type it up as a, you know, Word document and make it a PDF, or you can just go on the site and fill it in and just share your concerns that you don't think this is right. I don't know about you, I don't think it's right that boys should be in girls' locker rooms. I, I, I mean, I don't think it's right. <laughs> Sexual orientation is baloney. 
It's just baloney. The direction of a person's temptation is not their identity. Their identity is a child of God. They're born either male or female, and there's a design behind that. And you know, it's not, you don't, you're not ruled by your temptations. Oh, but boy, this goes against what the current uh, culture, doesn't it? Boy, am I, <laughs> I have fun doing this. Now listen, I, I, do, I do have to tell you that I love declaring the truth. I love declaring God's truth. And, uh, and I, but here's, here's the thing that the world will try to push you into a mold like you're negative, you're a hater because you love God, you're a hater because you're trying to preserve your family, you're a grave and present threat to our current culture according to our president last week in Philadelphia. I ironic, <laughs> ironic. That's all I can say. We have to keep our humor, we can't be mad. We're, you know, we're not fighting against flesh and blood, we're fighting against principalities and powers. So here, here it is. Here's the kingdom of God. According to Romans 14, it's righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost or in the Holy Spirit. Can we just say that together and we'll keep it? Remember, because we pray, Lord, we want your kingdom to come. What is your kingdom? It's righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. And so that's where we want to live. Like you can live every day in the kingdom of God whether the world, you know, that's like your light in the darkness. You're stewarding a zone where the kingdom of heaven is at work in your heart and it shines out of you. So bless you. Holy Spirit, would you come? Would you open up truth to us? Would you embolden and empower your people as we walk in love and enjoy speaking the truth in Jesus' name? Amen. So I've been on this long series of Romans, and I'm going to try to talk fast because... I want to finish before the babies melt down in the nursery. Okay, so Romans, uh, you know, so Romans is the gospel of the righteousness of God. Chapters one through eleven is the theology of salvation. It's totally amazing. You know, it ends up that nothing in the entire universe can separate us from the love of God. Paul delves into the whole Israel issue, goes through their past, their present, and their glorious future, which is also glorious for the whole world. And then we come to the last chapters, chapters 12 all the way through 16. 16 is like an amazing relational chapter, but the 12 through 15, Paul is laying out, so here's what it means to live as a Christian. You know, how do we respond to the love of God? And so the, what is the application of, what is the application? What is amazing is he kind of, he, he kind of describes the entire Christian life in a nutshell in the first two verses of chapter 12. And then beyond that, he goes through all kinds of specifics about how to do it. But the, the basic, we find, you know, present your body, he's a living sacrifice, and don't be conformed to this age, don't be squeezed into the mold, but be transformed. And, but it's all in response to the mercies of God. He starts out in, and it's what God has done for us. So before we get into verses one and two, what has God done for us? You know, like, well, he has, you know, he chose us. Ephesians 1, 4, he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. Isn't that amazing? That we would be holy and we would be blameless before him in love. He predestined, on and on. So in Romans eight thirty lays out, 
the rest of it. It says, those whom he predestined, because he chose you, you were predestined. He predestined, he also called. He invites us. He calls us out of darkness into his marvelous light. And those whom he called, he also justified, which means whenever you come before God, you, you're standing before him as if you've never sinned in your whole life because you're clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. You're made, isn't that great? Like you, God doesn't come in like, well, there you are. You know, like most of us didn't have families where we were greeted that way, especially if you had older brothers. The, uh, he called us, he justified us, he sanctified us. This is even more amazing. He made us holy. He declares that we were holy even though, you know, you may not be 150% holy or infinitely holy like he is, you're instantly, you have standing as holy and the Holy Spirit is living inside you, transforming you. And when you come before, he, he sanctified us, he glorified us. He's using past perfect tense language here to describe us, but he's, he's like, we're the, already, we're the, you know, already but not yet fully sanctified, fully glorified, and, uh, and glorified. His glory, he shares his glory with us. Isn't that amazing? Christ in us, the hope of glory. Okay, um, and I have all kinds of jokes and things I'd like to tell you, but I, I wanna finish here. So what is our response to the love of God? Romans 12, it, it's, it's a whole life commitment. 12.1, I appeal or I beseech, or I urge, or I exhort. That's what it means. I'm coming alongside, and I'm, I'm coaching you <laughs> how to do this. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies, your bodies, as living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Now, this is amazing. You know, we don't think of it so much, but in, in the time of the, that this was written, a religion required sacrifices to be made. You know, there were temples and there were sacrifices and animals and sometimes humans were sacrificed. And so as he's writing to him, he says, okay, here's your sacrifice. It's a living sacrifice. It's your body. Present it to God every day, alive, holy, and acceptable. The mercies of God, a special word used here. It's not, there's a more general word that often is by the mercy of God that he saved us, that he, he bound us all up in sin, that he might show mercy. That's, that's the general, like, kind of almost theological, philosophical mercy. But this is a, a very personal word. The Greek word is oiktirmas, and this word was... Etymologically, it came from the sound of mourners when someone would die. You know, they, the people would be, oi, oi, oi. You know, it's, it's the sound of grief. It's the brokenhearted, tender mercies of God. The Hebrew word, in the, in the Greek translation of the Old Testament, it translates the Hebrew word rachamim, the tender mercies of God. That he, he deals with us as a father. He understands our frame. He's, he has, huh, he pities us. Thank you, Jesus. So by the mercies of God, present your body's living sacrifice. So what, what does this mean that, you know, it, it means that it's because of God's tender mercies toward us. We're not serving Jesus to receive his mercies because we already have them. 
Come on. We serve him out of love and gratitude and appreciation. Come on. And uh, so the first instruction is to present uh, that our, we bring ourselves completely to him and that is holy and acceptable. And, it, it, and it, there is something that because of our culture, because we're, we're always going after the more of God and we want to receive, sometimes we forget that the more is given, the more is required. You know, that we, we serve, not, we're not serving to be blessed, we're serving because we're blessed. And a, a, a few, you know, a number of years ago, I was traveling and, and a, after a, a, a meeting, a young woman came and, and said, you know, I, I can't seem to live in the victory in this blessed life and I'm frustrated and I don't have a sense of accomplishment and I, I struggle with simple obedience and I'm constantly defeated. Can you help me? And I was like, oh yeah, I'll fix everything, you know. So, so I said, well, what have you tried? And she said, I've tried everything. I've gone to churches where they have healings and 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 and." and extraordinary spiritual experiences. I've spoken in tongues. I've, I've even had ecstatic experiences and been prophesied over, and I've had a few miracles. I've been slain in the spirit. And despite all that, I'm not pleased with my life, and I know God isn't satisfied. I'm miserable and want more. And I, I'm listening. Sometimes you get like a word of knowledge, and I, I said, because I bet there are people here... <laughs> I, I won't point you out because I, I, don't, I don't see you. Okay, but sometimes you get a word of knowledge that uh, it's really a word of wisdom. And I said, you know, I think you, you already put your finger on the problem that you're going after victory and it's all about what you can get from God. But really that blessed life is when we give him all that we are and all that we have and we serve him. This is what it means to present your body a living sacrifice. You know, this is the bodies, you know, just that Paul would say, present your bodies. You know what, how radical this statement was to like Greek thinkers that separated the body from the person, even like our culture does today, that you can be, quote, born in the wrong body, which isn't true. But they had this idea that the body was just a prison and it didn't really mean anything. It was kind of meaningless. What really mattered was the, the spirit. And so because of that, you think like, well, then they, would, they, would they be really like, you know, like hard on their bodies? A few of them were, like the Stoics, but many of them, they were just total hedonists because anything they did in the body didn't matter, which is much more like our culture today. And, uh, but Paul says, listen, here's reality. Here is true spirituality. Take your body, everything you do every day. Take ordinary work, Take the, what the, the work you do in the home, in the shop, in the office, in the warehouse, on the internet, the construction site, the sales meeting, the Zoom call, the delivery route, whatever it is you do, and offer all that as an act of worship. Interesting, you know, I try to update it, but Martin Luther said these things in the 16th century, you know? <laughs> and true worship is offering God our my body, your body, and all that we do with it every day. Want to know how to be spiritual? <laughs> it's called the obedience of faith. And so, I mean, but see, we don't realize this. So there, I mean, 1 Corinthians 6.19, do you not know 
that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God, you're not your own. You've been bought with a price. Isn't that amazing? What is a temple? A temple is a place where God or a small g God would receive worship. You see what it means if your body is a, is a temple of the Holy Spirit? It's like he has chosen your body as the place where he would be worshiped and glorified. Is that stunning? I mean, we grew up in a culture because it's all, you know, we've been influenced by, you know, fashion and, and physical culture and stuff that everybody wants to be 21 forever, and which that chain was started by a, a Christian businessman, really. But the, anyway, the, the, but, you know, we have this thing where when we'll look at our body and go, ah, you know, like I look in the mirror sometimes and I think, Who's that old guy? You know, it's like that. And so we do this thing where we don't like our appearance, but I want you to know something. God considers your body holy, whether you're overweight, underweight, wrinkled, unwrinkled, whatever it is, your body, it, I mean, you are a human being. You are the image and likeness of God. Your, your temple might be in disrepair, but you can keep it holy to him by the decisions you make. Thank you, Jesus. Your body is a temple. Say, my body is a temple in which God dwells and in which he receives worship. Oh my gosh, that'll fix a lot of our behavior. If we, I mean, see, we're, our, if we abide in him, his word abides in us. And we can ask whatever we will and it'll be done for us. But the, what that is, the process is that the word abiding in us changes us so that we're, we're walking in peace with God. Anyway, okay, this goes on. It, um, and the body's actually, your body is going to be made entirely 100% holy, hopefully before you die. 1 Thessalonians 5.23, now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. Means make you completely holy, which means you're outside of the natural realm. You are separated from the ordinary. You've been made supernatural. You've been made extraordinary and purified. Holy has all those meanings and uh, may, may the God of Shalom himself sanctify you completely. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Come on. When we stand before him, Jesus, help us. Okay, Romans 6. Therefore, don't let sin reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Have, ever, have you ever done something bad because your body was saying, I want it, I want it. I want more potato chips. I want more chocolate ice cream. I, oh, that feels so good. I just, when I'm with her, it just feels, how could this be wrong? It feels so right. That is your body making you Obey it. And, Jesus, and Paul says, don't let sin reign in your mortal body. If sin would reign in your mortal body, how much more could the Holy Spirit reign in your mortal body? How much more? Holy Spirit, reign in, we were singing it. Fire of God, consume me. That's a good daily prayer. Okay, um, 
Romans 8.23. Not only creation, but we ourselves, we grow, we, help me, Jesus. I, I need speech therapy. We groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. Like your body, no matter how great it is, isn't what it's going to be. We'll get a new body, a glorious body. We'll be like him when we see him as he is. Now, we're a living sacrifice. It's how we live. It's what we do every day. Real worship is offering uh, of everyday life to him. You don't have to do something special. A lot of people say, oh, I just wish I could be in the ministry. I want to quit my job and be in the ministry. I know what you mean. What you're meaning is you feel like you'd like to spend all your time serving God in a way, but it's, it, I mean, you're already in the ministry. Everything you do, every breath you take is ministry. So if every time you exhale, you go, thank you, Jesus. Every time you inhale, fill me, Holy Spirit. You're in the ministry. He'll lead you and guide you and use you in places that people that'll never go to church will run into you. The temple of the living God, the temple of the Holy Spirit, just saying. It's everyday life to him, not only in a church, but, but real worship sees the whole world as holy. There's something that happens when we get so caught up in God. Instead of seeing all the problems and all the dying polar bears and whales and being sad and angry like Greta, the little Swedish girl, it's like you're outside and you're like, this is a symphony. This is glorious. I mean, just watch. Get, have you ever seen those videos like, like Sir David Attenborough and Planet Earth? And you know, it, that's good. If you, if you can't sleep, just put that on. His voice will put you to sleep. And, but it's beautiful, and you see the glory. The funny thing is, he sees the glory, but he thinks it all just evolved. Just came from the Big Bang, and you know, that was it. But how much more? You know the designer. You know the artisan that entered the plan, you know, and you're part of the plan. And how much more? And, and so there's, we don't sing it here because probably I doubt if too many of our band could even play it, but there's a great hymn, This Is My Father's World. This is my father's world. I mean, this is our father's world. So when you look around and you see the, how beautiful it is, it's your father's world. Do you know, I mean, just clouds can take your breath away, right? I mean, just you can see clouds. Like clouds are just like water vapor. But the wonder is not only how beautiful they are and how, how stunning the shadows and shapes and textures and stuff, but the fact that somebody figured out how to suspend millions of pounds of water thousands of feet over your head without hurting you or drowning you, usually. Okay, just saying. So this is your reasonable Service. This is your spiritual worship. This is the real deal. The word they're used for service or worship is where we get the English word liturgy. It, I mean, and it, it just, it's the right response. Verse two, now we get into freedom. God wants to set us free. It's for freedom that Christ has set us free. Therefore, stand fast in the liberty you've been given. Galatians 5.1. So, but we see it in, in verse two. Do not be conformed to this world. Okay, wait. Live every moment for him, verse one. Keep your body holy, verse two. Don't get polluted by this world. J.B. Phillips 
wrote a paraphrase during World War II, and he translates this. If you're older, you've probably heard this before, but many of you are younger, so I might be your first shot at it. But he translates this, do not let the world around you press you into its mold. And like a good Brit, he puts a U after the O in mold. So we'd read it like, what's that word? You know, it's just because we don't know how to spell. We dropped all the U's over here in America. Anyway, the, uh, I mean, that's what it is. It's, this word is where we get our, our English word scheme. And it refers to the superficial, what's cool now, fashions of this world. And he's saying, don't do that. Like, be, because we're, we're citizens of heaven. And so there are things that change, you know, like when Ann and I, we moved here to Pennsylvania in the late 80s, and I mean, John Leach, and I don't know if Brian Leach had one, but Rick Pace, and all these guys, they had mullets. How many remember mullets? <laughs> A lot of you. If you're young, you've been like, oh, there it is, yep. Pretty good looking. And that little kid is David, thank you. That was nice. And. Uh, but, and the guys that had short hair would go get it permed. You know, I remember, I, it was my first time. I came from the mountains in California. It was like, really? But you know, so they just kind of all looked like they were hockey players from Canada, you know, or something like that. So, but it, there were all those fashions. I mean, when, you know, in the late 70s and early 80s, we all got the Tom Selleck era. We all had, I had this big mustache. My girls never saw me without a mustache till they were about six and nine. and. I shaved in there looking at me like, Dad, what's wrong with your face? <laughs> you know, and, but it's like, these are just fashions. They don't mean anything. You can wear cowboy boots or you can wear, you know, motorcycle boots or you can wear like $7,000 Gucci high heel boots if you're a girl. I guess if you're a guy too, you could today. But the, uh, but it, I mean, it's like, it doesn't, none of this stuff matters. Could be very expensive and a waste or could be a good investment. But I'm just, he's saying, don't conform yourself to the shifting fashions of this age, but be transformed, which is like metamorphosis. This is like changing from a caterpillar to a butterfly. There is nothing in common between a caterpillar and a butterfly, except the DNA, which happens to have the, the blueprint for both. But when you were born again, you became a new creature. It's transformed at the essential elemental level. This, and we're transformed by the renewing of our mind. And so you could think, well, that just means you have to memorize a lot of scripture. That'll help you. But what really transforms us, 1 John 4, 16, is that we know, and this is an experiential knowing, the love of God. Not just an intellectual knowing, but we know the love of God. Now, some of you maybe grew up in Philadelphia. God bless you. No, I mean, it's great. It's the city of brotherly love. Obviously, it's under attack for that, <laughs> in that dimension. But, you know, you might know things about Philadelphia. Like, as I preached a, a month or so ago at my friend Jamie Centeno's church. It's on 4th Street in Philadelphia, not too far from Temple University. It's a pretty rough neighborhood. And Jamie grew up there. And, uh, and he, so he knows it. Like, I know it. I, like, I had a... a a Google map, and um, someone was driving me, I forget who it was. <laughs> we, we followed, the, was it you, Dylan? Yeah, <laughs> Dylan. We followed the, the map program 
to the church, and we didn't know it. I mean, we knew it, but we didn't know it. Not like Jamie knew it. And I'm saying, like, you can know things either a little bit or you can really know it. And that's what this word used, 1 John 4, 16, and we know and we believe the love God has for us. Like, you can know it. You could even have experienced it. Like, there's something that sets us apart that we're stewarding the love of God because Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in him. But to really steward it means that, that we're aware of it and we trust it. Even when we don't feel it, he's working. Even when we don't see it, he's working. He's loving us all the time. So if you know that's the reality, when you get out of reality and you're all grumpy and feeling sorry for yourself and negative and as Joel Osteen would say, you're sour. <laughs> it's like it always cracks me up when I hear him say that. Don't get all sour. I guess that's the difference of being sweet, you know. But it's like then you welcome this reality and you you're living, you're abiding in the love of God. It's an amazing thing. If you live in the love of God long enough, you'll love everybody else. <laughs> and we believe it, but you have to believe it. You have to believe it. We have to trust. This has to be the foundation of our life. When we've just gotten, like, like read the riot act, and maybe we deserved it, but sometimes you get it when you don't, and you could feel rejected, like, God, why are they being so mean to me? And when you know and you believe the love of God, it's like, God, it's gonna be all right. It's good now. God, how many, I mean, this is why, Holy Spirit, would you come and baptize us again and again and again? We have it written on the wall, experiencing the love of God, which is the precursor to giving it away. This is our worship. Okay, keep going. Don't be conformed to the shifting fashions of the age. This really it falls, follows the pattern of Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who doesn't walk in the counsel of the ungodly, stand in the way of sinners, sit in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. In his law he meditates day and night. He's like just enamored. He's living in a better world. Becomes, and, and he'll be like a tree planted by the rivers of water, et cetera, et cetera. But this sets us free. And so we don't go, so what does that mean? The implications are we don't go along to get along on important things. Now there's some things that don't matter. It's like, oh yeah, okay, you wanna cut in front of me? No problem. That will sanctify you sometimes. <laughs> if you're feeling anxious, like. <laughs> the, the, uh, but, in gen but we don't go along with evil to get along. And sometimes when we're, we're facing with evil and everybody's going along with it, the thing that will keep us from being bold is usually a concern about our income, our image, and our influence. We think like, well, it's not that important. I'm telling you, if you're a Christian and you're a school teacher in a public school and they're telling you to teach soji garbage, God help you. And I'm really glad you're there and I'm glad you're loving and praying for those students, but you better not teach kids that they're, whatever their temptation is defines who they are. And you better not teach them 
that if it's a little boy and he feels like a girl and he likes to play with dolls, it doesn't mean he should get surgery and chemical castration. Do you understand this stuff? These aren't decisions children know or decisions they can make. And God, we are, we are living in a culture. Then there's life. Okay, sorry for my little rant there, but all life is holy. All life is holy. Currently, both our presidential administration and our state administration are firmly committed to abortion. And President Biden was in Philadelphia, of all places, in front of Independence Hall, preaching that people that don't want to abort babies are threatening other people's liberty and right to make the decision. Do you understand? There's something wacky here because it's like we've lost the biblical perspective. And, I, and I'm not, I want to bless President Biden. I want to bless Speaker Nancy Pelosi, both of claim, who claim to be Catholics, and I'm not, only God knows, you know. And, and then our own Governor Wolf, who've opposed everything that's been pro-life and protecting the unborn because somehow it's a woman's right to kill that little person inside of her. And so it, it's like, do you, now here's, here, so what do we do when we're in those situations? And like, well, I'll just keep my mouth shut. Maybe you should just speak up. Amen. Not mean, not nasty, not getting a fight, but just say, I love babies, and I think biologically it can be proven that that baby is a human being genetically at the moment of conception. Do you know at the moment of conception, there are little sparks of light that fly off. When the sperm penetrates the egg, there's sparks, and there's a chemical explanation for it, something about zinc or something like that. But, but do you know, didn't God put things all through the universe that declare his glory? And so, but here, so, but you know, and they might not buy that, say, well, you're just one of those religious fanatics. You say, well, let me ask you this. Do you think it's right to steal or destroy a bald eagle egg? Because, you know, people like, they don't like hypocrisy and they don't realize the inconsistency of their own views. So we're pleading with them as ambassadors. We want to like, you know, figure out ways to bring the truth in love. And so say, well, what about baby bald eagles? Do you think that people, you think it's right for someone to steal a bald eagle egg and destroy it for no good reason? And Muslims will say, no. Do you know there's a law? I mean, there's multiple laws on this. I, I heard about it, and that's why I looked it up and got on the government sites because I didn't want to give you bad information. But literally, if you steal or you destroy a bald eagle egg, the first offense is punishable by up to one year in prison and a $5,000 fine. And then if you do it again, it's double. And if you're doing it on behalf of an organization, such as Planned Parenthood or something, everything's like, like just exponentially. And in fact, I didn't know this, but you're, those are civil penalties, then there's criminal penalties, and the criminal penalty, uh, the first offense has a maximum of five years in prison for stealing a bald eagle egg. You know, my grandfather homesteaded a, a ranch in the Teton Mountains near Jackson Hole, Wyoming. It's in Idaho, beautiful place. And I remember as a little boy, there was a big pine tree out in a pasture with, with this huge nest in it. And I said, well, you know, Grandpa, what? it was the bald eagle nest. 
And the bald eagles would, he raised cattle, sheep, and a number of other things. It was back in the 50s, you know. And it was like, you could do, and he was very successful. And, he, and those bald eagles would regularly eat some of his lambs. And, you know, and if there were, they didn't have any small dogs, but, you know, I mean, bald eagles don't, but do you understand? And he didn't shoot them because there was a law against it, even though it meant loss for him. And he would have rather shot them. Now, how much more does our Father in heaven value a fertilized human egg in the womb than our culture values the egg of a bald eagle? I'm glad for bald eagles. I love bald eagles. I think they're awesome and majestic. But how much more I mean, sometimes these are, are just winsome arguments. All life is holy. Not just spirit and soul, but the body itself. Then we have the whole, do you know there are more families who want to adopt babies than there are babies to be adopted? And a lot of you have adopted, hallelujah. You know, and do you know there are more pregnancy help ministries by far, like multiple times, four or five times as many pregnancy help ministries as there are abortion mills? Come on. Now, do you think if someone did multiple, like just destroyed a whole lot of bald eagle eggs, people would be really offended at them, then they might go to jail. How much more people who work in that abortion industry in schools? I'm just saying, we, you know, we shouldn't be afraid to, to share the truth. I know I'm scaring you. You're like, oh, you know, okay. Marriage. In the beginning, it was a man and a woman. And you, and you can't redefine marriage civilly. I mean, you can live in that society, but marriage is actually a man, one man, one woman, for life, exclusive, with an openness and a desire for children. It's not about sexual satisfaction or having a best friend. Our culture has polluted and sexualized deep friendships. Well, but they feel that way. Well, you know, there's a whole bunch of stuff that I would feel like if I let myself, and you wouldn't like me as your pastor if I did all those things. You know, I'm just saying, like even no matter if you're, you're completely living a chaste life inside marriage, there are things that you could do that you choose not to do. And some, and they're, anyway. Marriage, like we, we can open our mouths about this. Do you know children do best with a father and mother? You know, all this comes from the sexual revolution of the 60s. You know, I was one, you know, the, the whole Woodstock thing, the summer of love, 1967. But that started long before then. You know, there was a, um, a professor at Oxford University. Uh, I'm going to give you his name, J.D. Unwin. He wrote a book in 1934. He did this huge study because he was, he was an anthropologist, a sociologist, a psychologist. He was really fascinated with Freud's theory that everything's based in sex and sexual repression and sexual blah, 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 freedom. So he studied, he studied six major civilizations and empire, Roman, Roman Greek, uh, you know, the Babylonian, the, the stuff before that, and several other, current Western civilization at his time. And then he studied over, eight, he studied 80 uh, cultures, like native cultures around the world. And in his book, it's called Sex 
and culture. He goes, he has little chapters on each of these studies. But here was his finding. He said that any culture that lives in sexual self-control, like they protect sexual purity before marriage and after marriage, that those, that as those cultures ascended with high degrees of creativity and excellence and they built buildings and bridge, you know, they just exploded in their creativity. But he said, without fail, as soon as there was one entire generation raised without sexual constraint. In other words, free love, baby. In other words, do you understand? Like, so I need to apologize to everyone like under the age of 50 for being raised by my generation that threw off sexual restraint. And imagine here we are, you know, we're like way deep into this, that without fail, every culture that, that had an entire generation that had lost the sanctity of sexual purity declined rapidly. So could we pray, could we intercede, could we ask God to do something that's never been done before in history? I'm just saying, I'm not gonna give up hope and be pessimistic, I'm gonna shine all the brighter, burn all the hotter, and declare truth, and don't back down. And if they put you in jail, you'll have a great prison ministry. Then we have the whole issue of gender. I just wanna read this, you know, in case you think that this stuff isn't affecting our children. This is from the www.education.pa.gov website under gender, gender identity, and there's a bunch of points, but I'll just read two of them. Assign gender. These are the definitions given by the Pennsylvania, thank you, Governor Wolf, for the Pennsylvania Department of Education. God, we pray for Governor Wolf that you'll open his eyes. You pray for him, God, that you will change his heart or you'll change the governor, one or the other. The and I know he's not gonna run this time, but the gender of a baby is, here's their assigned gender. The gender of a baby given upon birth, usually based, usually based on the child's birth sex. It's like, where, follow the science, okay. Now we have binary gender. The faulty concept that there are only two genders, male and female. I'll read that again. The faulty concept. Do you think that the Wolf administration is smarter than the book of Genesis? I'm just saying, see, this is one of those, those like not eternal truths. It's, a, it's the passing, it's the, the fashion of the age. Do we understand what this is doing to the future? And, and it's infiltrated all kinds of things. I don't have time, but I mean, you know, most of them, all but one, only the Texas Rangers did not host a, a gay pride day or night at their thing. 29 other MLB teams do, did it this year, and most have done it multiple years. And here's the crazy thing. Of those 29, so, the, you know, they're, they're got the rainbow flag and all the, you know, glitter and glamour and... And, and the Texas Rangers got a lot of heat and pushback from the press and from the LGBT community because they didn't, you know, they were haters or something. But, you know, here's the crazy thing. Of those 29 that have Pride Days, Pride Nights, 20 of them fund transgender surgeries and all of this stuff and what goes with it, not just exclusively the surgeries. And guess where the money comes from? 
It comes from the ticket sales. It doesn't come from billionaires who want to do whatever they want with their money. It comes from you who go to see the Phillies or the Pirates or the Orioles or the Nationals or whatever the DC team's called. Not every, not every time you go, but on the Pride Day. So what if just most of America never went on Pride Day? It's all about money, honey. You know, I mean, that's why they're doing it. Not because they're deeply committed. They just don't want to be hassled by the mafia, the LGBT mafia. I'm telling you, that's how it works. Okay, so keep going, Charles. Keep going. So back to please, you know, we need to speak up on this stuff. Please, um, you know, if you go to that website, thechildparentrights.org, and you fill out the thing, that'll help. It'll help. We don't know if we'll win or not, but it's going to help. And when the when Senate comes back into session on Tuesday, they're going to vote on something called the Marriage Protection Act, which will it will legalize polygamy, it will legalize child marriages, and it will do it at a national level. And you don't think, oh, well, we want to be nice. We don't. It will it will take away protection from children and from society for years to come. And probably it'll be chosen unconstitutional if America lasts that long later. But if you will email or call your senator's office. I, in the first service, I said fax, and somebody said, nobody has fax machines. But here's the thing. If you do have a fax machine, you fax it because their fax machines, they'll just run night and day, and they'll come in, and their whole office will be full of fax paper of people that said, we think this is terrible. Don't vote for it. So wake up, wake up, awake, arise, count it all joy and shine. This is, okay, so stand up. I, I took a little longer than I wanted to, but, but when your mind is renewed, you will discern, you will prove, you will find the will of God. And God only has one will, not three wills. And his will is good, acceptable, and perfect. And so it's not complicated. We walk in the will of God, which is to rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and give thanks in all things. This is the power of joy. It's the power of thanksgiving. It's the power of love. And it's the harmlessness that keeps us going. And I'm telling you, people may despise you. They may say all manner of things against you falsely, but rejoice and be glad because that's what they did to the prophets before you. And when you rejoice and be glad in the face of false accusation and persecution, you will move into a realm of glory. God likes it. See, this is part of offering our bodies as a living sacrifice. Are you with me? Okay. Let me pray for you. And uh, there's a lot more that could be said. But I just want to pray for more boldness. I like in Acts 4, and some of you follow Bill Johnson. You, he's preached on this multiple times. But Acts 4.29, after Peter and John had been arrested and put, spent the night in jail and all that stuff, he says, he, they went to the prayer meeting, and the prayer meeting said, God, look at everything that's happened. Look what happened at the crucifixion of Jesus. But it was all your plan. And in verse 29, they say, and now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. God, God would you just give us that bold love, that bold joy, that that 
wisdom of serpents and gentleness of doves as we, we go out as sheep among wolves, God, that you would raise us up, that you would give us positions, even though they might, take, they might threaten us like the Daniel's three friends who were threatened with death and burning when they were thrown in the fire. There was a fourth man in the fire and they came out and Nebuchadnezzar's heart was converted. Come on. And so I just want to declare over you boldness, joy, and peace. And uh, I love Isaiah 55. Isaiah 55 uh, starts out, Ho, everyone that thirsteth, come ye to the waters. He who has no money, come by and drink. And it ends up talking about the word of God, that it goes forth like rain and snow, and it it, and it will return performing what it was sent to do. And I love the last two verses. It says, you shall go out with joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and the hills shall break forth into singing before you and all the trees of the field will clap your hands. God, as, you carry, as we carry your word, your presence, your kingdom in our hearts, righteousness, peace, and joy, as we do your will, presenting our bodies daily in all we do as worship in Jesus' name. Can you say amen? Amen. amen. God bless you. Now, if you have little kids, please go get them. And then you can come back. But if you don't have little kids and you, you want prayer for boldness, breakthrough, healing, we had some tremendous healing testimonies last week that we're sh we shared in our Tuesday staff meeting. God bless you. Have a great holiday. Amen.